Why were you selected for intelligence? Uh, because of my Italian. They were at that moment looking for an American-born Italian-speaking officer. And I seemed to fill the bill, mm -hmm. and so I was put in the Pentagon. And after seven months in the Pentagon, I uh, managed to get out and get into the Monuments and Fine Arts and Archives. So the Pentagon work was pretty dreary? Well, it was in an office, and uh, very routine. Some of it was quite exciting. I mean, the, the intelligence at that time was a very fascinating thing to be part of. But it uh, was office work all day, every day, and uh, never a sight out of doors, and never a sight of action or, sure. or a change of scene. You obviously weren't able to do any uh, drawing or sculpture. Oh, no, no, none at all. Yeah. And then how did you get toward the, uh, the fine arts and monuments? Well, section? of course, I, I, I knew of the commission, the Roberts Commission. And, what, was the, what was the Roberts Commission? The Roberts Commission was uh, a commission uh, formed, I suppose, at the instigation of Justice Roberts, because it had his name, but uh, by the president and, and others to uh, uh, look after, uh, protect as much as possible the works of art, science, architecture in battle areas. and. Uh, Knowing that this commission existed, of course, I was very eager to get into it. But uh, when they requested me, I wasn't allowed to go until I had found a replacement for myself, which wasn't so easy to do. But it was accomplished, and I got overseas, fortunately, and had two years in Europe. Mm -hmm. Now, could you describe why, why did you want to go into this? Because of it stood to preserve, try to preserve things that you had loved? Oh, that was, that was of course, the reason. Yes, that was. Mm -hmm. And when one saw what was happening and what was bound to happen further in the war, it made you more eager than ever to have a hand in it. Did you go first to, then to England? Was this before D-Day? Well, before D-Day, uh, seven months or so. Uh, we were sent to England first uh, to be with the gathering army and at the same time to uh, write the handbooks that the soldiers would use on the continent, uh, having to do handbooks for the monuments and fine arts activities, and also to frame a directive that would be signed by General Eisenhower that would give uh, officers, all officers, the authority to protect certain monuments of art and architecture. And scientific collections and other cultural objects, collections. Well, because without that, there would have been no, in the order of priorities, an officer wouldn't have paid any attention to those things, right? No. No, no there would be no hope at all. Yeah. How, how, did it, uh, how did fine arts eventually loom so high in the list of priorities? What, what do you think accounted for that, that Eisenhower finally signed the directive? But I think that by that time, there was a general awareness among all intelligent people, army officers included, <laughs> that uh, this was going to be the most destructive war in history, and that something of that kind had to be done to save a fraction of, of uh, the endangered objects of our culture.
Well, from the account that you wrote, uh, the College Art Journal in 1946, of your activities, particularly in Germany, uh, it seemed to indicate that, that the officers in general were uh, behind this, weren't they? They had real regard for the treasures of Europe. Can you the regular army officers? Yes. Uh, you can't generalize. The, the army was wonderful and it was awful. Uh, some of the officers were touchingly eager to do everything they could. Uh, and that's the right word for it. It was really touching to see the, the extent of their interest. Others were barbarians. Uh, I could show you here today a thing that we used to call a buck slip. You would uh, make a recommendation and this would go up to headquarters with the signatures of the officers through whose authority it had to pass. Uh, this particular thing that I've saved is a request that a certain professor's house in Weimar uh, should not be occupied because it contained his life's work as an art historian, uh, which couldn't be got out in time for the troops to move in. Uh, it was physically impossible. And that was signed by a few officers on its way up to the mm -hmm. proper authority. And this man, whose name was Colonel Senef, signed it. What's so important about these professors' houses? You see, uh -huh. then it came down, so the house was unprotected, and every thing that that man had written in his life was destroyed within the week by the soldiers. Just because they were billeted there? And they yes, yes. That was all it took. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was that side. And, and, and when you were up against that kind of thing, uh, it was so emotionally <laughs> undermining mm -hmm. that uh, sometime at the end of the day you just wondered how you could go on. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think in that little article which you read, I spoke of two or three instances in which yeah. the officers had behaved so magnificently. And when it came to assigning soldiers, the common soldier, a responsibility of guarding a work of art, somehow there was a pride in this thing that uh, was manifested in and what they said and how they did it and uh, in the end of course it was the common soldier who saved these things we we only were there to show where they were and ask to have them protected but the actual protection was in the hands of the of the soldiers were you quite surprised at the, at the pride they took in this work Yes, uh, uh, surprised and in, at times amused because uh, in the case of the great salt mine, it, uh, great, it was not a salt mine, it was a surface copper mine at Ziegen where most of the uh, best of the art treasures of the Rhineland had been stored. Uh, the 8th Infantry Division advertised 
uh, all over the area that they were running an art museum. <laughs> and when we got there, uh, there everything was intact, but there was their huge signboard outside enumerating certain of the objects that they were protecting. <laughs> Did you ever have a, I mean, you were, you were so concerned to preserve Europe's treasure, and you were so interested in art yourself. Did you, were you ever uh, slightly sheepish about this in the face of war and carnage and military need? Not at all. No. Uh, uh, we were treated at times in such a way that it perhaps should have made us sheepish, but you had uh, a wonderful response when you had an assignment that had to do with the preservation, let's say, of a large cache of works of art. You used the word treasure. And when you spoke to any officer about treasure, uh, it seemed to open up all kinds of possibilities that, <laughs> speaking of works of art, wouldn't have. And I remember once I spoke of a treasure, a certain treasure that we had uncovered at uh, Barrington and uh, the officer said, uh, what are these things worth? And I said, hundreds of millions. Oh, he said, that's a lot of money, that man cost. I said, yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> and and uh, it made, made the difference. We didn't always get what we needed in the way of transportation. In fact, we all, almost never did. But uh, we got a certain amount of, uh, of respect and attention. We got it. And you felt this was very important. I mean, it's true you weren't able to do your sculpture. Your career, your career was, uh, was halted. Uh, could you say that, could you think of your work there as sort of a continuation of your spirit as an artist? Well, I think it was much more important than anything I would have been doing at home. Of course. Yeah. No, but I mean, apart from importance, or, or I mean, what you might have been able to do at home, do you think it was, uh, can you see it as a continuation of your role as an artist? I mean, with this, the saving of this treasure? Yes, I do. It, uh, I think it was very, very much a part of it. Uh, actually, it was uh, particularly so because it almost had to be done by artists or people very closely associated with the study of art. Uh, and that was the reason it was successful to the degree that it was. We had not only uh, artists, architects, art historians, but we had men like George Stout, Sheldon Keck, uh, conservators, uh, who were really expert in, in dealing with these objects. and. Uh, I'm sure that the fact that I was a sculptor uh, did make certain things possible that wouldn't have been otherwise, including the attitude of the people with whom we worked. In Germany, for instance, uh, the fact that I was a sculptor 
made a great deal of difference with the uh, civilian uh, museum people and that sort of thing with whom I had to work. Yeah. How, how did that affect them? Well, I wasn't just uh, just another army officer uh, coming in to give give orders. I was a kindred spirit, you uh -huh. might say. Uh -huh. And they, we were, we treated each other that way. And when we finally got to the, got into Germany and had the great problem of locating and uh, evacuating the repositories of these works. Uh, temporary repositories. Temporary repositories. Uh, we were dependent on them and they were dependent on us. There had to be a great deal of, of really congenial uh, working together. But I was curious, you were virtually the only artist doing it. The others were art historians, weren't they, or technicians, conservators. Uh, why yes. were you as a sculptor, as an artist, because of your linguistic ability and familiarity with the no, because I was in Germany and I spoke very little German. Of course, I was first assigned to the French section, but that changed. No, I think it was the fact that I was was. Uh, You're quite learned in European art, weren't you? Well, I was a good amateur art historian. Yes, <laughs> that's what it was. And uh, I think partly they knew me. Uh, Professor uh, Sachs in Harvard knew me. We'd met in in, in Rome. He knew who I was. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Francis Taylor, who was on the commission, knew me, and uh, others, I suppose. And mm -hmm. I think that's how my name was suggested. Were these men on the commission? Were they out in Europe as well? Eventually? No, no, no. Well, uh, Francis Taylor came over for a visit. Uh, Dinsmore, Professor Dinsmore was one of them, archaeologist. He came over for a visit, very brief, but uh, Professor Sachs never went over. And, uh, and this was just a very, very brief visit of inspection after, mm -hmm. after the things had more or less quieted down. Mm -hmm. well, by the, uh, speaking of something like that, the time you left, what was what, early, in 46 or so? Or late late 46, winter, it was in winter, yes. Uh, were things, did it look pretty hopeful, things were being reassembled? And yes, by that time uh, there was very considerable organization. Mm -hmm. The civilians were working well mm -hmm. and uh, there was a great deal still to be done, but uh, mm -hmm. it was under control, mm -hmm. certainly. And in both France and in Germany, did civilians throw themselves into the work uh, willingly? They liked, they were the, in Germany, the ones I had to, to work with were, were perfectly splendid. Mm -hmm. I suppose it was a chance to be constructive. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. After all, it was their art that we were uh, working to save. They realized that. In, in the First Army, I had very little to do with the loot that the Nazis had uh, taken. Uh, that was Third Army. Over in, you mean the stuff they'd gotten? Yes. In France and all. You dealt uh, then mainly with uh, things that had been controlled by the German army as opposed, say, to the, to the Nazi yes. party. Yes, almost altogether. That is, uh, the, the German army had acted, on the whole,
quite honorably, uh, it was the Nazi organization that was responsible for the official looting. Mm -hmm. Not that all soldiers are, uh, aren't looters. Uh, Americans and Germans both did their share, but the official looting was done by Nazis and not by the German army. And in the first army where I was, we saw, we dealt with very little uh, looted work. It was uh, German property and Belgian property that we had to protect as much as possible. The, um, you, you describe in your article going to Thuringia, is, it, is that the, uh, the salt mine? Yes. The great uh, well, yes. The Russian military tradition was Yes, that was, that was, a, that was a nat Nazi activity, the uh, putting those objects into that mine. But uh, after all, they were all German-owned German works. And, uh, you suppose that was an another the wreath over the great electors was uh, from Adolf Hitler. Do you suppose that was an attempt to give sort of posthumous uh, legitimacy to Hitler? Oh, I'm sure it was. I'm sure that that was expected to remain walled up for generations. And it was done with an air of display, uh, not simply a, a way of preserving these things. Well, you were there through, through 46, mainly in Germany? Yes. And by then, the carving up in, into the various zones of occupation was occurring. Oh, yes. Did you have to then, what would you do with the, well, particularly the Russian? Well, that's the, that's the reason we had to hurry so at Did one you? moment. Uh, this, this mine of Berntoroda, the Thuringian uh, find, was to be in German uh, zone very shortly after. In Russian zone? Uh, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Russian zone. And uh, so we had to hurry and get everything out and get it over into what was going to be the American zone. Because you didn't think the Russians would handle it right? Or? We, we had every reason at that time to believe they wouldn't because we had had contact with some Russian so-called fine arts officers. And it was perfectly clear that at that time they regarded everything as booties of war, spoils of war. Mm -hmm. And they weren't going to return it. They later had to. Uh, it was clear that things had to go back to Dresden and also to Berlin for political reasons, but at that time there was no thought of returning anything, so we we had to hurry, mm -hmm. get out everything that we wanted to see. So such things as those you just kept in the western zone yes. through the time you were there at least? Yes. Now, you uh, also were at uh, Marburg, the great... Uh, we made Marburg uh, more or less our headquarters because of the Kunsthistorisches Institut, right. uh, and also the fact that Marburg had been bombed, except the railroad station. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I say it hadn't been bombed. <laughs> Actually, the building that we used most for our repository had been uh, either bombed or shot at because it was very bad condition. But we were able to restore it enough to use it for our chief uh, collecting point in Marburg. And then, of course, the great collecting point was at Wiesbaden, uh, where the uh, treasures uh, found in Merkers mine were mm -hmm. taken. 
and that was the Kaiser Friedrich. And uh, but our uh, uh, we found that Marburg was a very conveniently located place, a uh, very uh, congenial city and university, and it had the Kunsthistorisches Institut as well as this great archive building which we could use, a staff of beautifully trained art historians uh, who co uh, cooperated with us splendidly, and without whom I don't know what would have happened. You'd mentioned earlier to me the uh, Wiesbaden Decree. What was that? <laughs> Wiesbaden, we called it the Wiesbaden Manifesto. This came about uh, at the uh, moment when it was decided by the president that 200 of the best paintings in Germany should be brought to this country. And uh, the points of view about that operation uh, differed so uh, from the different sides of the Atlantic that I think uh, they'll never be reconciled in the history of this thing. Uh, the Americans saw it as a promise by the United States government to take care of 200 German paintings. We in Germany, first of all, didn't think it was the way to take care of 200 paintings. We felt there was more risk in taking them over and bringing them back uh, than there would be in, in leaving them in the very safe uh, places that by that time were available in Germany. However, the thing that, that worried us most stemmed from a remark that was overheard in Merker's mind by one of our officers, one of the MFANA officers, when uh, immediately after the discovery, the discovery of, of, the, uh, of the mine, the Merker's mine, in which uh, all of the collections of the Kaiser Friedrich Museum and all of the gold reserves of Germany were uh, hidden. Uh, a representative of the United States Treasury was going through with the generals who were looking things over, and after having looked at all the gold, they came to look at the pictures and the works of sculpture, and this representative of our Treasury Department said, these things are assets too. This terrified the officers, our officers, who overheard heard it, uh, it seemed to indicate a possibility that they were being regarded as spoils of war. And so when shortly after that the order came to send over 200 paintings, uh, the connection seemed to us to be quite clear. The thing that worried us most was that we knew that no German would ever believe that those were being taken to America for protection. And uh, it did threaten to hamper our work terribly because we had established this wonderful 
uh, relationship, great confidence, 